1: Muslim teenagers face many challenges. A myth is peddled that following Islam makes life difficult and they'll be happier if they were less religious. Let's face it, sometimes being a practicing Muslim can seem like mission impossible. Sin is exciting and Islam is so boring. But rather than reject religion, I want to offer a new point of view. In my book, Smart Teenage Muslimer. I invite girls to look at the ideas and behaviours that wider society expects them to embrace and decide whether they are good for their mental health and well-being. Concepts such as self-obsession, rampant consumerism and feminism. Also, what tools exist in the Quran and Sunnah to help you dream big and be a confident Muslimah? In this thought-provoking guide, you will discover guidance from our sacred texts to achieve peace of mind understand the purpose of your life, learn what Islam has to say about puberty and sex and get the facts about LGBTQIA plus and gender identity. So if you're a smart teenage Muslimah whose goal is to succeed in this life and attain Jannah in the next, this book is for you. Inshallah to find out more visit www.smartmuslimah.com. The book is now available to buy on Amazon and Google Playbooks. welcome to smart muslima podcast inshallah if you find this podcast episode useful please subscribe and tell your friends and family about smart muslima also good news i have a newsletter and that's how we can stay in touch to subscribe please go to smartmuslimer.com. details are also in the podcast notes In the newsletter, I'll be sharing my book recommendations, productivity tips, and online courses that I've created. So today I'm discussing uh, a new book I've written. It's called Hands Off Our Hijab. Now, let me explain why I wrote this. So I'm sure, like I'm looking at, it's mainly women that we've got here, and I'm sure many of you are quite sick and tired of the whole topic of hijab being discussed particularly by non-Muslims and over the years like I've been wearing um hijab for over 20 years now and it's something that has been consistent this isn't a new thing that our um, the way we wear it why we wear it um you know and this isn't just about Muslims living in the west it's Muslims all over the world women are scrutinized and stereotypes are created about us we're called, uh, you all know the cliche that we are oppressed. There's also a lot is added to, you know, there's lots of connotations added to hijab. Um, so, for example, it, so the, the classic one is the oppression. But the idea that so um, a male relative has forced you to wear it, or forced us to wear it. That could be one reason that somehow our religion is inherently misogynistic because we are um, our creator has told us to cover you know these are uh, you know whenever there are for example you know when, if a, an attack happens and then muslims are blamed you know even before evidence is provided you'll see images of muslim women again um and they won't be positive images they'll be very negative you know the the lighting will be dark or the just you, you know what i mean by the, the the photographs taken either the women will look a bit scary and they'll be in hijab or they will look very sad you know there's we all know it we live it Uh, and i think as women we understand that more alhamdulillah men and our husbands and brothers and fathers they you know they do support us and they can see that we get the brunt of um you know the islamophobia we we feel that and so this is something um so the title hands off our hijab i I wrote this over a period of, actually, I I was taking notes and writing over a year. I was writing lots of things as things were happening, and I think the catalyst for me was the banning of the hijab in um, France, as you know. And I think that really got me thinking, now, that happened, you know, that, that came into law in 2021. And this was under the presidency of Emmanuel Macron. And what I found, I thought, wow the audacity of a country telling muslim women um you know under the age of 18 that they can't wear hijab in public i thought that has never happened um well no actually i'll go into in the book i go into history where those that that has happened but in the thinking of modern times that the fact that they could do that and they could get away with it and it's become law that is a, a really big deal and I really felt for my sisters in France. And it's not only France, this is happening in Canada. You know, niqabs have been banned in Switzerland as well. There, there are a number of, you know, um, France banned the wearing of the burkini, um a few years prior to this. But I just thought, look at the way that things are moving. And we, we are not being paranoid when we say and we feel that we are being targeted because we are. And so it's not vict- us calling ourselves victims. It, it's just a fact. This is what's happening. And what I, was, I wanted to look at in the book is why are they doing that? So why do um, countries that call themselves liberal and progressive, and they hypocritically say they believe in freedom, you know, this is what they say, this is a, you know, um, a principle of their way of life that they will deny women um, and muslim women in particular the freedom to obey their creator and cover themselves that's what it boils down to that's what they're doing and so this is something i wanted to look at and my um criticism is very clear in the book is towards non-muslims and liberal non particularly the governments actually uh, let me retract it's not to your average joe it's not to your average person because really the way if you think of the views that your average non-muslim holds about us when they see a muslim woman covered um where do they get those ideas from they are getting them from the things their politicians say to the things that they see on social media and um what the press tells them, and then again and popular culture, you know I don 't need to tell you about you know the different um, if you just think of popular culture that the, the image is produced of Muslim women so I'm really sorry I'm, I know people are putting their hands up. I sincerely apologize for not letting people come up to the audience um, straight away I'm, I'm just going to discuss this a bit more, and uh, inshallah, if I do feel well enough, I will we can have a discussion. Uh, but I apologise if I if I you know you're putting your hand up and I'm not getting you on stage at the moment. But so going back to so yeah so it's not your average person that is creating this negativity about uh, women in hijab. It is um, liberal, progressive politicians in particular. Um, you know, and, and you can say you know there's right wing politicians as well, but they they're joining in. But also they ultimately they they believe in liberalism too. So you have these governments who they have decided that there is an easy target and that easy target is Muslim women, that we can create fear, we can create um, lies, we can create um, a certain amount of hatred, which we, they can then use to demonize not just us, but all of Islam. And that's really what you see happening. And so in the book, what I go through, I'm just going to um, read out some of the chapters. By the way, the link for the book is um, at the top. So you can you can get that from Amazon or Google Play Books. So one of the chapters is called A Very French Inquisition. And that goes through why France, what is it about the nature of French society and the way that they view immigrants um, in particular, who, when they come to their country, how they accept expect them to adopt their principles their beliefs their way of life and if you don't they will ban um they will ban your culture they will ban your language you know they put immigrants into um basically into ghettos and unless you like completely are willing to give up your beliefs that's when they will accept you and now what they've found is the muslims alhamdulillah in france they're not willing to do that so they've now had to resort to banning um, and bringing the law in, bringing a very strict um, authoritarian laws in uh, against the Muslim community. So that's what that chapter discusses. And the thing is that what I've tried to do, although I do, and I know, and we should, we feel, should feel angry about these bans, using anger to explain what's happening doesn't actually achieve anything and getting angry and um again that's probably not the best way to um deal with it we need to understand intellectually and that's inshallah what i have hoped to achieve through through that chapter so now um right so then the next uh chapter is the historical unveiling of muslim women by colonialists now i spent a lot of time um researching that chapter and SubhanAllah, it's when you look at the history of um, so in the three countries I look at, because it could um, I could have written like a a 200 page book on this topic. But the the countries that I looked at was the experience of Muslim women in under French occupation in Algeria. And uh, when and then the occupation of Egypt by um, the British and then also the um, occupation of American coalition forces um, in in Afghanistan. And it's very interesting when you look at, when you study how they had a very clear policy to unveil Muslim women. And again, you have to question why, why did they want women, you know, so think, you know, the, the grandmothers and great grandmothers of today's generation, why is it that they felt we need to stop women from wearing hijab. You think, well, what an odd thing to do. But if you, again, when you, when you read the chapter and you look at the history, it boiled out to they saw that Muslim women in Islam, they are given so much respect and they are the cornerstone of the family. And if you can create, um, if you can create, get women in particular to discard their obligations, just feel that you know whether it's um the hijab whether it's being a wife whether it's being a mother staying at home um if you can shake a woman's confidence in that and make them more like a liberated non-muslim woman that will cause a breakdown in a muslim society and they will be more willing to take on board the ideas of the colonialists and that's and again those three case studies that i look at um they do that, but also in Algeria, in particular, Saffa. I was—I'll be honest—I was actually crying when I researched that because it was so upsetting to see how they force forcibly remove the hijabs of women. They to—they would put Muslim our sisters in brothels. They would suffer They would take photographs, and they these would be used in postcards in France, and it was to break the resistance of their husbands, the men who were fighting against the French. So it was um, the French occupation. And so the reason why, I, again, I felt there was such a need to write about this is that, number one, um, there are people who have written about it. But I thought, you know, for us to understand, when you understand your history and what has happened to... So here we're talking about the history of us wearing hijab. And the views held about us, we then understand what's going on now, and it and, and the intention is to make us think. You know what? I am never going to remove my hijab because that is what non the non-Muslim colonists wanted for wanted back then, and nowadays they can't colonize our countries anymore. And there are so many of us Muslim living in the West, they can't forcibly remove it. Well, actually, in France, that's what they where they have done but it makes you aware of um, what their plans are. And you know, Allah says to us in the Quran and in Hadith that, you know, the non-Muslims, they they plan and, the, and this might sound slightly harsh that I'm saying, but I'm paraphrasing the Quran when Allah says that, you know, the hatred that they feel about us is in their hearts, what they hold in their hearts is, you know, um, and what they say by their tongue are, you know, it would shock you if you knew what they say by their tongue is one thing, but what the hatred they feel in their hearts is just something else. And I apologize for not providing the the actual eye, but I'm sure many of you have heard of that. Um, OK, so another chapter is OK. This is, this is one of my favorite ones. Time to play offense against the anti-hijab squad. Now, um You've got it as for a Muslim woman. I I have found this, and I see amongst you know my sisters, I see um, that some are struggling with the uh, wearing hijab. And I and you, I'd always think, why is it? Why has it become so hard? And what you find is that there are Muslim in amongst Muslims, and I just like to say, it is a minority. There are Muslim voices that are saying to Muslim women, it's not an obligation. You don't need to wear it. Now, um, and I thought I I have to address that in the book. And the reason why I thought I had to address it was that I've seen on Instagram, I've seen on in articles. Interestingly, I'll tell you, the articles will be in the Independent, in the Guardian, in Huffington Post.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. I bet to get thirty. Thirty. bit you get thirty. bit you get twenty. 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 I bet you get twenty. Twenty. You get fifteen. 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 Just fifteen bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at MintMobile.com/slash-switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: So these are all articles in non-Muslim papers. You will have Muslim journalists or Muslim um, Islamic feminist thinkers. And that, that's a, like a phrase in itself. And that's not your average sister. These are people like Amina Wadud. Asma Balas, um, Keisha Ali, Aisha Hadayatullah. So these are, and these four women, I'm, I'm not slandering them. These, they've written books on this subject. They have, they, they all would say they are Islamic feminist thinkers. Um, they've um, written books and there's um, articles on like uh, feministreligion.org. Uh, um, but basically their, their work is public where they have all questioned um, and denied the obligation of hijab. And the thing is that they have a certain amount of influence. And this is what I'm saying I've seen people, I've seen then sisters who may not know enough about their um, writings and their thinking. Like, for example, I'll just say Amina Wadud, Astafala, she, she openly insulted uh, Prophet Ibrahim, alayhi salam, that she questioned that why did Ibrahim salam, leave his wife Hajar in. The desert on her own and she called him suffler, a deadbeat dad and this is and she she's repeated that a number of times but she then also says i do not think hijab is an obligation i've actually written an article for um a um a website it's called traversing tradition where i've detailed all with all the links i've put it in there i'll probably do a, i'll do a rom on this as well because again i i was very surprised by what i was reading and learning but so yeah, there's a chapter on that. That instead of, I I feel that we as Muslim women and as Muslims and our brothers and uncles and fathers, we need to be on the offensive now when it comes to this. That I'm tired and I no longer I don't defend my hijab. My hijab, you know, we wear it as obedience to Allah. Allah you know, just as same I pray to because Allah's told me to pray. I fast. I take care of my family. I obey my husband i pay zagat you know i wear hijab these are all things that allah has told me to do and inshallah i pray that by doing them i will attain jannah and that's it i don't need to sugarcoat it i don't need to give silly reasons i don't need to make a non-muslim or even a muslim who's telling me otherwise i don't need to explain myself and i think i'm hoping through this book that that's the confidence that we that That sisters who read the book can achieve inshallah and that we don't we don't need to apologize for our hijabs or any other obligation that we do that's the intention so i did think that i'm tired of um, non-muslims parading muslims like that very liberal progressive um uh, compromising muslims and saying that they are the spokespeople for the muslim community or that they had I'll tell you what happens is that they, they have studied in Harvard or um, wherever, some, some you know, SOAS, oh my goodness, SOAS is like any Tom, Dick and Harry can get a um, master's in Islamic studies from, not Islamic, like Islamic fiqh or hadith from SOAS of all places. And then they would think they can comment on, start, start giving fatwas and start giving rulings. When all you have, you've gone to SOAS and you have learned from Muslim and non-Muslim teachers about Hadith and Quran and now you're interpreting it and, and we know but not just inter- you're reinterpreting it and trying to reform Islamic laws and so we need to be very you know when you read these articles you should check who are these people so what if they've got a PhD if they're telling me to disobey Allah I'm not listening to them and um, so yeah that's, that's one of the other chapters I did really enjoy writing that chapter Okay, then there's critiquing critiquing headscarves and hymens by Mona El-Tahawi. So Mona El-Tahawi is another um, feminist. She's Egyptian, she lives in America now. Um, But again, she, uh, from the title, you can see she, again, she denies hijab, but she she has, basically she writes that um, Arab men and Muslim men hate Muslim women. That is her thesis. That's the book and she's written and um, she'll speak about how when she went to, uh, where did she, when she went on pilgrimage, that she was felt up. So she talks about that. She'll talk about incidences and then she will like um, superimpose like her personal examples. And I'm not denying that that does happen and I'm sure it has happened to other women, but somehow that all Muslim men hate and she'll say they hate women and then the whole she writes about hijab and again it's a tool of oppression she agrees that the niqab should be banned but so can you see again I just thought someone like that needs to be brought to task they can't get away I think for too long people like her are getting away with so not it's not just about um attack um attacking hijab it's actually attacking Islam that's what I have a massive problem with that they're slurring Islam, they're calling it all kinds of, um, you know. Again, it's misogynistic; it hates women. You know, it's oppressive. It's, and I do think these are all tar- very tired old cliches that we, as Muslims, we know Muslims are not perfect, but you can't attack Islam and you can't attack Allah's laws. That that's not something I'm I'm happy to, to stay quiet about. So again, that again, they'd that say that. The book is to answer back to those questions and also like for sisters who they don't know how to deal with all these different voices because that's the thing like i said the everyone thinks they can comment on muslim women and our hijabs and um it's we need to filter out who are the good voices that are base grounding their opinions um in scripture in the prophetic tradition and who are not who are trying to reform and who are so um, in love and with liberal values and they've adopted it in their own life and they just want other Muslim women to adopt that as well. That, that's something that I think is really um, is happening. Um, okay, the next chapter is called Material Girls and that's about the modest fashion industry. And, you know, as we know, that has really taken off. And for women, you know, and there's good and bad in it. I'm not saying it's all bad. You know, I remember a time when it was hard to find jill barbs. You couldn't, you know, my, literally my mum would make my jill barb, you know. And now, alhamdulillah, we have a lot of choice, and that's a good thing. But then there are, there's a negative side to it, which is very, which is, um, you know, encouraging. One, it's copying the non-Muslim mod fashion industry. I really do think there's a, we don't have to, we can be fashionable and stylish, but we don't have to take everything on board, whether it's the way that we're selling and marketing or even, you know, and I would say even the sexual objectification of hijabis. I, I, I think that's that's just not on. Um, and we should question that just because, you know, um, yeah, so th- that's something that and, and, it, and I do look at, you know, the idea of the whole um, the Muslim model you know, like a supermodel and the aspiration to want to become a model, but also getting us to question, are we objectifying ourselves? Has that become acceptable? And for us to think, why are we doing that? You know, um, so that's just, again, I genuinely, I, when there's so much pressure on women to look beautiful, to look young, and now we're expected to look sexy in hijab as well. That, that's what I find. Okay. There's a limit now. We need to think very carefully, um, but I do. Know, I do totally understand the pressure to do for, for on women, but I think we have to be intelligent and like kind of pedal back and think. Hold on, why am I am I why am I doing this and what is that teaching my daughters and what am I showing my nieces or my friends? Um, so yes, yeah, so that was a very interesting chapter. And okay, the next chapter is too afraid to wear hijab. So that's just tackling how, like I said, you know, with the Islamophobia, women do, we're easy targets. And we do, I think we do need to, as a community, think how can we protect sisters more? Um, Alhamdulillah, how can brothers and fathers and uncles and husbands, how can they, when sisters are feeling afraid to wear hijab, um, how can what can we do about that but also again I remember reading an article in the now uh, defunct um Huffington Post Canada it's no longer there um this article about how if you feel scared a so-called scholar he, he wasn't a scholar um was saying how if you feel Muslim women if you feel scared you can take your hijabs off and it was a very general like, no Islamic evidence is there. And I look at the evidences about when can you, when in Islam are we allowed to remove it? Because there are times when you can. But, again, that has conditions. So, again, that bad advice, j- just as a side point, the man who wrote that also was pro-LGBTQ. And um, he was pro-Muslim that men, um, L- you know, LGBTQ people can, Muslims should be able to get married to each other. So it kind of tells you... you when you dig in a little bit about these authors and you see, where are they coming from? You do realize, okay, so now I understand. I'm not going to take your advice because your basis is not Islam. And then the final chapter is good hijabi's Shatter stereotypes. And that is really about how you we've now got the kind of good hijabi in the media. And then who we are, who is given to to me and you as a role model. And there's a very clear, you know, what that good hijabi looks like, how she wears her hijab, um, what kind of things she does, you know, who will get as, to be a guest on Ellen and the Obamas will like her and she'll get book deals and she'll get shows and she will be praised by Angelina Jolene. You know, th- there's that type of person. Um hijabi, and then there's the other type who is more will be um, labeled she's conservative and traditional and um she supports the patriarchy and it's amazing when you just if when I was doing the research i was thinking i i, I wrote this book um their reviews I had, but I thought i'm going to be objective here and look for evidence that when i especially when I was writing that chapter and the evidence is overwhelming with what kind of hijabi they want us to be and who is accepted i'll end in du'a bismillahir rahmanir rahim wal ast innal insana lafii khust illal aminu amanu wa amilus saalihaati wa tawaasaw bil sabr Ameen. take care everyone assalamu alaikum mainstream media outlets do not cater for the needs of you as a muslim There are topics which they will completely ignore, for example, the hijab ban that is happening in India, the Islamophobia that Muslim women all over in the West are facing. They don't even report Palestine or Syria in a balanced manner. So through my podcast and my YouTube channel, I discuss the topics specifically related to Muslim women that Muslim media sometimes as well, particular mainstream popular culture will not discuss topics like critiquing feminism, topics such as the number of hijab bans, niqab bans that are happening in India, in France, in Canada. These are challenges that Muslim women are facing. And I'm going to keep continuing to shine a light on these topics. So, inshallah, I would love your help and support in continuing to create this content for Muslim women, which is challenging the very negative Islamophobic narrative that we are being given. I think as a Muslim creator, we should be producing content that is Islamic, that is well researched and provides hope to Muslim women and men that as Muslims, when we see an evil, we can change it with our hand we can speak about it or we can hate it in our heart and i think some of us are able to create videos and podcasts and others who are not able to do that like yourself you can support that work as well and gain in the reward inshallah by contributing and supporting to my Patreon page. The link is in the description below. Inshallah may Allah reward you and please do the well for all the Muslims around the world that we can continue to challenge this Islamophobic narrative. But always remember that Allah is with the righteous. Hold up.